0: Well, tonight we're starting a new study in the Psalms called Replenish. I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. I just want you to think about it. But have you ever felt physically, emotionally, or spiritually drained? Now, I'm not talking about tired. But have you ever felt physically, emotionally, or spiritually drained? It's, it's more than just feeling tired, isn't it? If you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever experienced that, it's more than just the feeling of being tired. We all get tired. I mean, that's just the result of busy schedules and everyday life. What I'm referring to is the feeling of being empty. That feeling of being empty. Empty. Is, is almost a scary feeling because you don't know how to change the situation. If you're tired, you rest. Hopefully you feel better. But when you feel empty, what do you do then? I have a book on my shelf in my study uh, that, that was written by a pastor for pastors and it's called Leading on Empty. I'd recommend it to anybody, but it's especially written for pastors, Leading on Empty. On empty, you would probably be surprised how many times I have given that book to pastors, how many times I have recommended that book to pastors. You would probably be surprised how many times just in the course of my life that I run into pastors and talk to pastors and try to minister to pastors and not that I've got all the answers but just being friends with pastors and, and begin sharing things together and end up saying, now, I've got a book you need to read. Because I feel like you're leading on empty. The first line of the introduction of that book says this. Just listen. In in the very first sentence of that book. the, The introduction says this. We don't forget that we are Christians. We forget that we are human. And that oversight alone can debilitate the potential of our future. You see, whether you're a pastor or you're a teacher or you're a truck driver or you're a factory worker or an an accountant, a a doctor, a lawyer, an executive, we all have the the tendency to think that we can live life wide open without consequences. Uh, The old saying is you're burning the candle at both ends, right? Well, eventually, the candle burns out. Sooner or later, put this on your notes, sooner or later, though, we end up finally realizing... We are human. Sooner or later we all end up finally realizing we are human. To put it another way, sooner or later we all end up realizing we're empty. And we're not sure many times what to do about that. Now... The, the t- study is called Replenish, so I want to ask you a, a question. What does the word replenish mean to you? I'd like you to respond. Just What does that mean to you when you hear the word replenish? What does it suggest? What does it mean? I like that. To add something back that's already been there. That's very good. Somebody else. To fill up again. That's a good one as well. Anybody else? Restore to fullness. These are excellent answers. But it's all the women they are giving the answers. Come on, guys. Huh? Rejuvenate. That's good. Give me some examples of things that you sometimes replenish. <laughs> that was the guy that said toilet paper, wasn't it? <laughs> the guy finally said, I know what I can answer now. <laughs> So, so, somebody up here said something besides toilet paper. What would you say? Sugar and flour things you use every day. Things that, that run down. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still... And you have to <laughs> replenish them. You know, we also replenish our energy, don't we? That's why you go to sleep, right? Because you, you replenish your energy when you're resting, when you're sleeping... Uh, There's a famous sports drink called Gatorade that says that that it will replenish the electrolytes that you lose in your body. Our world is very familiar. We're very familiar with the concept of replenishing something. The question is this. When you are empty inside and you've got nothing left, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, how do you replenish what you're missing? Uh, You don't have to answer that, but think about this. When you are drained and you are empty physically, emotionally, spiritually, when you've got nothing left and you're just drained, you're empty, how do you replenish that? The question is a lot harder than perhaps it seems. And that's why we're going to be looking over the next at least four weeks, it could go beyond that, but over the least four weeks, we're going to be looking at the Psalms. Because more than any book, more than any other book rather, the Psalms were written To show us how to replenish in our walk with God. The Psalms were written to help us fill the tank we can't fill. The Psalms were written to help us restore things we can't restore. The Psalms were written to help us replenish our walk with God. Many of you will remember the name I'm about to share. uh, The name... Steve Brown is familiar to lots of you, and some of you you don't know Steve, so let me introduce him to you. Steve was a friend and a mentor to a lot of young men in our church. I think Ben probably was one of those as well. I know my son was. Uh, I know Daniel was very close to Steve, uh, Chris as well and many others. Uh, Steve Brown was a man in our church who died on, in November I'm sorry, in December of 2014. I think he was 63 years old, had a long fight with cancer. One day in the middle of of that battle, I went to see Steve in the hospital, and it was a down day. And if you knew Steve at all, he didn't have many down days. Steve was a man of high energy, a man of a great positive outlook, a man that always encouraged you more than you encouraged him. Uh, he was a man that just loved people, loved to be around people, relationships were important to him. But one day I went into his room, his hospital room, and it was, he was there by himself and it was a down day and the uncertainty of everything that he was facing was getting to him and, and this is what he asked me, this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, how am I supposed to keep going? I've got nothing left in the tank. How am I supposed to keep going? I've got nothing left in the tank. And then he said, after he paused, do you have anything in the scriptures that I could read? See, he needed more than just rest. He was resting. He was resting all day long in the hospital. He needed more than just drinking Gatorade. That wasn't going to replenish what he was missing. So he wanted to know, do you have any scriptures that I could read that might help me? Because I'm empty. I'm tired of fighting. I got nothing left in the tank. And I said, Steve, you need to get in the Psalms. And I explained to him that David and the other writers of the Psalms sometimes struggled with their faith. They sometimes struggled with doubt and fear and anger. They sometimes wrestled with the big questions of life. And I said, Steve, uh, you, you need to get in the Psalms because sometimes they got weary and worn out too. And, and you just need to start reading. I told him, read at least five Psalms a day. Meditate on what you're reading and, and stay in the Psalms for this whole process. And, and he said, okay, I'll do it. And then it's typical Steve fashion. Those of you who knew him, he grabbed me and hugged me and, you know, all that kind of thing. And Weeks later, I was visiting Steve, and, and uh, before I left him, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm in the Psalms, buddy. That's about the way he said it. And he says, It's making a difference. It's helping me. Thank you. That's great. I'm, I'm in the Psalms. Boy, David, he really told him, didn't he? I said, Yeah, he did, Steve. And, and honestly, I think probably almost every time I saw him after that. Pastors, Won't you know, I'm in the Psalms. Just like you told me to. Okay, Steve, that's good. Months later, I was at his house. I went to talk to him about his funeral. I sat down, I looked at him, said, Steve... any any scriptures you want me to use in your funeral? He shook his head. He said, share some Psalms with them. Do something from the Psalms. You know what he found? He found something in the Psalms That he couldn't find in Gatorade. He found something in the Psalms that he couldn't find by reading the latest book on Oprah's list. He found something in the Psalms he couldn't find in a self-help book. He found something in the Psalms he could not find by simply sleeping in. He found God again in the Psalms. And that's where some of us need to go. That's where we need to stay for a while. That's why we're having this study, replenish. We need to get into Psalms. I want to point you to the Psalms over the next four weeks. So, I hope you've got an outline. And I'm going to run through this fairly quickly. I want to first of all introduce the Psalms to you as a whole. Before we start looking at individual Psalms, I want to look kind of a wider picture. Introduce the book of Psalms to you. And if you don't have an outline, you feel free, we always do this on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights as well. There's outlines here, there's outlines in the foyer. Feel free to get up and get one. Uh, we're pretty laid back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. But I want to make sure you have an outline. So, Introduction to the Psalms. The traditional Hebrew title for Psalms is Tehillim. And it means, anybody want to guess what it means? What does that Hebrew word Tehillim mean? Anybody want to guess? Psalms, no, but what, what do, that's the title, that's the name, but what does it mean? I, I'm hearing stuff, I can't hear. Poems, that's a good guess. Sing, that's a good guess. What? Praises, plural, praises, that's what it means. Tehelim. Psalms, means praises. Now there were songs, somebody said songs, there were songs, many of them. Uh, That was perhaps used in worship. But but the, the title simply means praises. But Psalms contains much more than just praises. It's poems that reflect every conceivable human emotion. I think there's a place on your notes for this. Emotions like grief, anxiety, doubt, and anger. And that's one of the reasons I counseled Steve to get into Psalms. As he was struggling with terminal cancer. Because the psalmist, more than any other book in the Bible, doesn't just express praises, though it does do that, but it also expresses every conceivable emotion like grief, anxiety, doubt, and anger. Uh, The book has the ability to describe our relationship with God from a human perspective. One of the things I like about the Psalms is that it gives voice to us. Let me say that again. It gives voice to us. It says what we're thinking many times. The psalmist says what we were thinking. He expresses what we were feeling. The psalms give voice to us. For example, Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist in this psalm was pretty much speaking to himself. He was preaching to himself. He was... Often giving voice to what he was struggling with and by doing so giving voice to us. The purpose of the Psalms is to point us to God and to deepen our relationship and our love for him. Now, the Psalms are not just intended to raise our emotions though. They're not just intended for us to sing praises. They are designed to teach us. Is that a blank on your notes there? designed to teach us. Songs have a powerful way of teaching us, don't they? In fact, if I if I were to ask you, can somebody quote the, the first stanza of uh, the old rugged cross? How many could do that without a hymnal? How many could, could sing or say this? All right, lots of you could. Uh, how many of you could sing the first stanza of Just As I Am or say it if you don't really sing? All right. And we could go through a whole list of songs like that where you have learned songs over the years, and those songs have taught you. They've taught you theology, they've taught you about God. So the Psalms teach us as well. For example, just listen to these references Psalm 34 18 The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The psalmist is teaching us something about God. Psalm 62 19 Praise be to the Lord. Uh, to God our Savior who daily bears our burden. The psalmist is teaching us something about the, the way that God daily bears our burden. Psalm 130 verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in His word I put my hope. The psalmist again is not just expressing praises or, or feelings. He's teaching us something about God. So when the needle in your heart, the needle in your soul, when it begins to point towards empty... God can use the Psalms to replenish you. For that reason, the Psalms, for that reason and others, the Psalms is probably the most popular book in the Old Testament. If I were to ask you, what's your favorite book in the Old Testament? I bet lots of you, a good majority of you perhaps, would say it's the Psalms. I tend to go there more than any other place. My pages tend to be worn there more than any other place. So tonight, with that introduction to the book of Psalms, uh, I want to focus on Psalm 19. Open God's Word to Psalm 19. Oh, by the way, let me just give you a little pet peeve and and teach you something at the same time. When you're referring to the book, it is Psalms with an S on the end. When you're referring to an individual Psalm, it is Psalms. Without the S. It is Psalm. It is not Psalms 19 or Psalms 23. It's just one Psalm. You you get that? When it's all of them, it's Psalms. Okay? Just somebody needed that. I don't know who, but maybe I just needed to say it. Maybe that's what it was. So we're going to Psalm 19. Uh, This is my wife's favorite Psalm, and she's in the nursery tonight, so she, she doesn't get to study it. But you're going to get to walk through it with me. Psalm 19, C.S. Lewis said this, C.S. Lewis' great theological mind said, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It is indeed a powerful thing. Now before we dig into the Psalm, let me ask you some questions just to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be looking at. Uh, How many of you have grandkids? Raise your hand. Look Look around at the grandparents, all right? Have you, have you, all right, all right. Now, let me ask you another question. These are random questions, and you'll see why in a minute. But I just want to get you engaged here. Another question is this. What's the worst thing you have ever eaten? Now, before you answer, don't say your wife's cooking. Alright? What's the worst thing you have ever eaten? Like, for example, Ben told me what he ate on his mission trip to Peru. Now he didn't say it was the worst thing, but when he told me, I'm thinking I can't imagine eating anything worse than that. You know what he ate in Peru? Guinea pig. You know that little thing you got in your cage at home? If you get hungry enough somebody's going to send me an email because I talked about cooking their pet all right, so what's the worst thing you've eaten? Somebody tell me real quick. Jellyfish. Jellyfish. Who? Somebody else told me about that not long ago. Said it stinks and it's awful. Okay, give me one more. You say broiled or boiled. Well, of course, it did not mean if it's fried. <laughs> fried, whatever, it's going to be bad, right? All right doesn't matter how you cook it. Okay, another question. Uh, who has moved here to South Carolina from out of state? Look around. Look around at all the out of staters. My hand is up. I moved here from out of state. All right. Where did you move from, Melissa? Praise God, that's right. <laughs> I forgot this. Yeah, that's right. I, okay, uh, I'm afraid of this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And if you can't give a good church answer, don't answer. Okay? Here's the question. Where did you go on your first date? The mall. Who said the mall? All right, went to the mall. Pizza Hut. Big spender there, buddy. (laughs) All right, who else? Who else? Went to the movies. Church. <laughs> Those are the people from Tennessee right there. They went. To... <laughs> Lisa and I went on our very first date. Lisa and I went to a Pat Terry concert. At uh, who? That's right. At uh, who? <laughs> Pat Terry was a contemporary, kind of contemporary Christian singer. Uh, at Carson Newman College, Pat Terry concert. And then we went to Sambo's to Eat afterwards. Not that you needed to know that, I just thought I'd throw it in. Uh, Last question. How many of you were born, do you know who Pat Terry is, Dave? Uh, No, really, seriously, do you? Okay. I got got a Pat Terry album, I can't play it anymore, but I got a Pat Terry album. Last question. How many of you were born on Sunday, on a Sunday, not this past Sunday? (laughs) All right, raise your hand high. Mike, were you born on Sunday? I was too. I was too. I was born on Easter Sunday. And my daddy called me his little rotten Easter egg. <laughs> now, why all those questions? We learned something about you guys because you revealed something about yourself to us. We learned that Melissa's from Tennessee. She revealed it to us. We learned learned that Ben ate guinea guinea pig, and blood something, and liver, calf calf liver or something. Uh, We learned that, that Donna went to Pizza Hut on our first date. We learned something about you guys because you revealed it. We wouldn't have known it if you hadn't revealed it to us. Now, how do we know anything about God? the same way the reason you know things about God is because God reveals it to you please remember that it's not because you thought it up it's not because you're so smart it's not because of your education the only way that we know anything about God is because God in his loving grace reveals himself to us now The interesting thing about Psalm 19 is that David, who wrote Psalm 19, explains to us that God revealed himself to us in two different ways. And what he did in Psalm 19, he still does in our lives today. He reveals himself in two ways. The first way, and I'm I'm looking at my watch. We're going to have to go pretty quick now. The first way... Put this on your notes. The first way that that God makes His way Himself known to us is known as general revelation. General Revelation. Psalm one nineteen, verses one through six talks about God revealing himself through what we would call general revelation. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Notice that word declare. What does that word declare mean? To tell, to make known, the heavens tell, the heavens make known, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies. Proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. Which is like a bridegroom coming forth from its pavilion. Like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The psalmist says that God makes Himself known. God reveals Himself to us through this general way of, through nature. God reveals Himself through the general revelation of nature. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Now, I'll tell you this to you, and we're not trying to brag in any form or fashion, but but maybe it'll encourage you to do likewise. This past week, as I've studied this text... Probably I'm try, I was trying to remember probably three, probably three mornings I sat on my back porch and I watched the sun come up and I had my Bible open and I was reading this text over and over and over as I watched the sun come up and there's just something about seeing the sun come up breaking through the clouds and that magnificent orange and yellow glow and you, then you read the heavens declare the glory of God. See, God revealed Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us all the time through nature. One day this week, I was with my son Jonathan, and we were going somewhere, and we were watching the sun set. I mean, we were driving, but you know how you can just look at it. It's like, wow, that's amazing. That, look at that, son. Son, look at That is amazing. Look at that. You know what God was doing? In the busyness of our life, in the busyness of our day, God was speaking. God was speaking and declaring His glory. To us, Now the sad thing is, and I'm as guilty as anybody, the sad thing is, we so often get so busy in our routine and in our activities, we can drive right past the sunset and not even notice that God was speaking that night. We can get up early and head toward work and think about all that we got to do that day at work and, and not even see the sunrise and hear God speaking that morning. The heavens declare the glory of God. World famous biologist Edwin Wilson claims, talking about nature and the, the, the marvels of nature, he claims that there may be as many as 1.6 million species, I think I'm saying this right, a fungi, would you say, Would you, is, am I saying that right? Fungi? Alright, thank you, I wondered about that. I'll take your word for it, Mark. Think about this. There might be as many as 1.6 million species of fungi, fungi, whoever. (laughs) And then he went on to say, he said there's probably about 10,000 species of ants. Now, I believe that one because I've seen them in my kitchen. (laughs) He said there's also... Three hundred thousand species of flowering plants, three hundred thousand different kinds of flowering plants, and approximately ten thousand species of birds. I'll tell you something, but those large numbers pale in comparison to the heavens above. David did not have the all the modern science that we have. He didn't have the scientific data. And yet, as he pondered the heavens, he was overwhelmed with the glory of God. Maybe it would be good for you if your needle is on empty. Tomorrow morning, get up and watch the sunrise, And let God speak to you again. Or tomorrow night, as the sun is about to go down, go sit on the porch. Put your Bible in your lap. And let God speak to you again. Because what happens when God speaks through nature He speaks about His existence His presence and His power. When you look at the sunrise you look at a sunset uh, when you look at the marbles of a, of a leaf on a tree when, when you look at all the birds in the air when you look at all that God has created it really begins to speak to you about God's existence. There has to be a God. God's existence. God's Presence and God's power. Now let's just read through it again. Verse 1 The heavens declare the glory of of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. And then each day God seeks to replenish us through what He has displayed. Each day God seeks to to replenish us. It says, verse 2 Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Each day, God is trying to replenish us. Each day, God is trying to remind us of His glory and His goodness and His presence and His power. And then verses 3 and 4, look what it says. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Someone has said that creation is a wordless book that everybody can read because it needs no translation. No matter where you are in the world, and I've been all over the world, no matter where you go, you can see the sun, you can see the stars, you can see the moon, you can see the flowering plants, you can see the birds of the air, you can see all the things that God has created. And it has to remind you there has to be a creator. And it screams about the glory of God. Now that's one way that God has spoken. And in fact, Paul, we don't have time to get into this, but Paul in Romans chapter 1 raises the question, how about those who never have the chance to hear? Are they responsible? Because they've never really had a time, they've never really heard the gospel and Paul says God has spoken through creation. Now, the second way that God has spoken <coughs> is known as special revelation. There's general revelation, that's creation, but the second way is known as special revelation. And, it, and the writer speaks about this in verses 7 through 11. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Notice he's changing. Verse 6, and the verses previous to that, he was talking about creation, about nature. But now in verse 7, he talks about the law of the Lord. He's changing. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. He's no longer talking about the broad category of creation. Now he has, he's focused on God's word. <clears throat> he says the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to to the heart the commands of the lord are radiant giving light to the eyes the fear of the lord is pure enduring forever the ordinances of the lord are sure and altogether righteous they are more precious than gold they are much uh, and than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey from the comb by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is what class great reward Special revelation, put this on your notes. Special revelation is the declaration of specific truth about God, like who God is, what God is like, and what God expects. So special revelation is that specific truth about God, who he's who God is like, what God is or who God is, what God is like, and what God expects. Now, God can be God, and God can do it any way He wants to do it, right? Because He's God. But God had two possibilities regarding this special revelation of himself. God could have if he chose to, he could have repeated the revelation to each generation about himself. He could easily have done that, to every generation repeating the revelation about himself. That would be one option. The second option would be this, everybody look at your pastor. The second option would be this, he could preserve the revelation that he has been that he gave to us so that it could be passed down to each generation. And God chose that second option, didn't He? God preserved the revelation of Himself by inspiring men to write down the revelation of who He is and what He's like and what He expects. It's interesting, when David wrote about creation uh, in verses 1 through 6, he, in, in verse 1, he used the name for God that's Elohim. You see it in verse 1? The heavens declare the glory of Elohim, is what it says in the Hebrew. Elohim is the name that speaks of God's great power. That name fits in that verse, doesn't it? The heavens declare the glory of Elohim. It declares the glory of God's great power. That fits. But in verses 7 through 11, he changes the name for God. In verses 7 through 11, he uses the name Jehovah. The Hebrew name Jehovah is God's covenant name. It speaks to God's powerful relationship that He desires to have with His people. So get this in your mind. The powerful God of creation is also the personal God of His people. Isn't that beautiful? The powerful God who created the heavens and the earth is also the covenant God, the personal God who wants to be related to His people. It's amazing, this God who has revealed Himself through creation wants to speak to us on a personal level through the Bible. Now, as before, we've got about three minutes before I close, so I want you to follow real closely. Notice in Psalm 19 that God speaks for our benefit. Each verse emphasizes the potential of life change. Notice that in verses 7-11. through 11, Each verse emphasizes the potential of life change. For life change, for example, verse seven: the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's a benefit to the Word of God. Verse eight: the statue, or verse seven: the statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. There's benefit to God's special revelation. Verse eight: the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Again, there's benefit. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. David recorded six different names for God's Word and six different benefits. Of each of those. I've listed those on the bottom of your notes. We're not going to have time to study them. But let me give you just a sentence uh, on each one. So that you can go back and maybe look at this a little closer. He says in verse 7. He talks about the law of the Lord. That's Torah. That would be the Old Testament Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament. And it's talking about instruction, direction, and teaching. If you want to write that down. Instruction, direction, and teaching. It's interesting that he says the law of the Lord is perfect and he talks about it reviving the soul. You see that? Reviving the soul, restoring the soul means to give new life. It's the, it's the word we would use for replenish. David said God's law can replenish your soul. Statues is another word that he uses. It's talking about the testimony about God. Day after day, they, I'm sorry, uh, verse 7b, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. is the, tes- the testimony about God. The precepts, is the next word he uses, these are God's detailed instructions concerning practical matters of life. God's detailed instructions concerning practical matters of life. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Then the commands. Uh, The commands, the word literally means that which is appointed. That which is appointed. Because God loves us, He commands us things that we should do. And He commands things that we should not do. Things that which are appointed. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Then He says the fear of the Lord. Verse 9. That's an unusual name for the Bible, but it means that we we should show Reverence and respect for God's word. He says, the fear of the Lord does what, church? The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Then the sixth name is ordinances of the Lord, in verse 9. It can be translated judgments or verdicts, and it refers to those times when God announces a judgment on a people or a nation And his rebukes and his rewards and punishments help us understand what pleases him, what he wants, what he desires. He says in this text, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Then we'll close with this word. They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great Reward. Now look at verse 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And I love verse 14. It's marked in my Bible. May the words of, the, or the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a glorious God This glorious God speaks to us every day through nature. And He speaks to us if we'll pick up His Word every day through the Bible. The glory of God is revealed to us. And when you are drained, listen to this, when you are physically, spiritually, and emotionally drained, you need more than rest, you need more than Gatorade, you need more than some kind of pill that will pep you up, you need more than an energy drink, when you are physically and emotionally drained and the needle is on empty and there's nothing you can do to get that needle to start rising up, this is where you start. You need to be once again reminded of the glory and the presence of Almighty God. And He will remind you of His glory and His presence through nature. And He will remind you through His Word. His glory, His presence, and His power. He speaks to you. If you'll take the time to listen. Amen. Thank you guys. I love you. I appreciate you being here. And we'll continue this series. Lord willing. On replenish. Looking at another psalm. uh, Next Sunday night. Let me pray over you. God. You are more than gracious. More than good. More than loving. More than patient. More than kind. You are God. God. And there is none other. And I pray that this evening. As we watch the sunset. Or tomorrow morning as we watch the sunrise. We might listen for your voice. And you might begin to pick up the pieces. And you might help us to. Awaken again. To who you are. To your presence. To your power. To your greatness to your mercy, to your love. And then, Lord, may we open your word and may you speak to us there as well. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.